So what I want us today, what I want us to do today is to drill on the theological truth. So what are theological truth? These are statements of truth in which the underlying reality is reliably expressed in and through Jesus. So I want us to press on these truths today as Paul fleshes them out in, 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 in Corinthians, um, chapters 4 and a bit of chapter 3. And I want us to look at how uh, these truths have some implications on our daily living. Right. So I believe that even though scripture was not written to us, when Paul was writing this letter, he didn't have a snetember in his mind when he was writing to the Corinthians. He had the crowd or the audience that he was writing to, but scripture definitely has something for me. Right? So it still washes, it still applies fully to my life today. So we will look at how this truth that is fleshed out by Paul is helping us to follow Jesus better how it is helping us to love and adore him more, how it helps us to worship him more, and to be on mission for him better. So now in light of everything that I've said, I want us to track back on Paul's thinking through the past five weeks to where we are today. Um, I think the slides should be following with what I'm saying. So a bit of recap on week one, we had Stephen sharing with us um, chapter one and giving us a background on why the Apostle Paul wrote the book. Chapter, weeks two to three, uh, him and, and Andre uh, ushered us into, into this book where Paul opens up in prayer, where he thanks God for the peace and the encouragement that he and the Corinthians have received in times of dispute. And he extended forgiveness to the church in Corinth in pursuit of an honest and repaired relationship with them. In week four, Andre uh, uh, told us about how we are a pleasing aroma of Christ to the people who are around us. And beautifully, last week, Shaley shared about how we are this reference letter of Christ to the people that we get to interact with the Every day, she shared a, uh, a story that stuck with me about how she was sleeping, and her sister, who was uh, in a, a not having any peace in her life, she was just looking at Shaylee uh, sleeping on, on the bed, and she was just encouraged by the peace that she saw from her face, and that that drove her into wanting to know more about what is happening in Shaylee that is giving her so much peace. That, that, that stuck with me in encouragement. So today, we're landing on chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verses 1 to verse 12 together. Amen? So, chapter 4 reads as follows. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we command ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but it is Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants 
for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, uh, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. <laughs> quite, a, quite very thick and full of truth. Verse 7 says, but, when, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power uh, is from God and not from us. But we are hard-pressed hard on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not, dis- not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to gather here together and just receive from you. And as we come, Lord, this morning before you expectant, to receive from you. May you meet us in the place of need. And I pray, Father, that as I share this message, that nothing uh, comes from me, or I don't try to just tap my own wisdom, but, Father, that you might just use me as a vessel for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen? Amen. So, as we start on verse 4, our key word there is, therefore. Right? So the word therefore means for that reason or consequently, which forces us to go back and to remind ourselves of what Paul has said so far. So I know on the screen we have it from verse 15, but I want us from our Bibles to actually pick it up from verse 12. So you can follow with me as, as I read. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12. So Paul said, therefore, since we have such a hope, We are bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing. But their minds were made dull to this day when the same veil remains. Okay, sorry. But their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. So this veil that was in the face of Moses, uh, Paul is speaking metaphorically at the same time, but this veil that was in the face of Moses and the veil that is in the face of, um, of so the veil that was in the face of Moses and the veil that is in our hearts. So he, he, he compares that these two veils uh, with uh, what do we do when in order for these, what do we have to do in order for these veils to be removed? And he says it's only in Christ that this veil is taken away. So even to this day when Moses is read, when the, when the old law is read, a veil covers their hearts. These people that are reading Moses, they're not seeing the truth still. Verse 16 says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's amazing. Whenever anyone turns and looks at the Lord, this veil that hides the glory of God is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we all who with unveiled faces, these people with unveiled faces are the people that have turned and looked at Jesus and beheld who he is. And now when we turn and look at the Lord with unveiled faces, when we contemplate who Jesus is and what he has done for us in the cross, when we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. So Paul here retells an account uh, of Exodus 34, which I'm not going to dive into. Uh, so it's been amazing. I'm part of this uh, Bible study that we have uh, in our congregation. We're going through the Bible in the span of a year. We started last year around August, and we're looking to finish around August again. So we've been following the story of the Bible from page one, and we just recently started uh, the book of Romans, and it's just been amazing how this beautiful story from page one has all been about Jesus, and even till now, it's still pointing and telling us about Christ. Uh, so I'm not going to dive much uh, on Exodus 34. I command you to go and read it. Uh, so God had invited, but in the short, God had invited Israel. So he'd taken them out of, of Egypt, passed them through the Red Sea, and invited them to be in fellowship with him in Mount Sinai. And God came down to them and invited these people to come and have relationship with him, and he could have fellowship with him. But because of his glory, the Israelites were very scared. They were like, God, we, we, we are good. I think Moses should go and be between us and you. So Moses was this person between the Israelites and God. So Moses would put a veil on his face every time when he came down from having fellowship with God. So he wore this veil after his meetings with God so that people would not be afraid to come near him. The veil was to protect them from seeing the shining face of Moses. But when I was going through uh, Enduring Word, uh, part of one of the commentaries that I was using, um, it puts it this way. It says, in this verse, Paul explains the real purpose of this veil. In that it was not just to hide the shining face of Moses, but it was to hide the diminishing glory of his face because that glory was passing. It was moving. It was not permanent. Right? So the passing glory of the old covenant contrasts when you compare it with the enduring glory of the new covenant. Whatever glory that was in the face of Moses, it wasn't there to stick around forever. But there is a glory that we start to see when we're looking at Christ. And this glory is enduring. This is the true glory that will last forever. Paul then turns and says, whenever one turns and beholds Jesus, the veil is taken away. I think I, think I just like the language that Paul is using. <laughs> um, and, he, and, and, and they will, so once you turn and, and, and behold Jesus, this veil is taken away, and these people will begin to enjoy the freedom that is found in Jesus. I think when I was preparing this, this, this thing about turning and beholding who Jesus is stuck with me a lot, because I think in our journey to being formed into these new beings that look like Jesus, it's, it's not about the toiling. Because when you look at other world religions, they talk about what you need to do in order for you to gain this eternal life. But, but the, the gospel tells us something different. It tells us about how uh, the mercies of God 
allow us to just look at Jesus Christ. And once we look at Jesus Christ, because there's nothing that we can do to help ourselves, looking at him and contemplating who he is, that allows and helps us to be transformed into these new people. Um, so Paul tells the Corinth that now that they know this truth, right, because they have accepted Christ in their lives, they have turned and beheld him, now that they know this truth about who they are, right, and this new person that has been formed in them through Jesus Christ, now that they, they, they know this truth, it has implications on how they should live their lives, right? Um, so you come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. So as you don't stay as you are, that means there's some implications in life, there's some changes, and the truth that you know about Jesus Christ should change the way that you do life. So he says, in that verse, I'm still in verse one, in verse one I mean. So he says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Paul tells the Corinthians here that the ministry that they have as the apostles is, which is a ministry of preaching to the Gentiles around the book of Acts. We just went through that to the Bible study. Um, uh, this, this ministry that they have is a ministry that they didn't work for. Paul and, and, and his mates, did. it was not because they were too clever or too good for them to be given this ministry, but it was through God's mercy that they've been given it. Right? So it is through God's mercy that they receive this office that they occupy. Uh, and what, what is it about God's mercy that enables uh, people to do such magnificent work? Uh, let's look at there's some scripture that's going to come up on the screens about what does scripture really tell us about the mercy of God? Romans 12 says, uh, you can flip your Bible if the screen is taking long. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. God's mercies are received and they energize us to live the way that Jesus lived. Titus 3 verse 5 says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we have done, not because of His, uh, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we, has done, we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. So there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. It is through receiving God's mercy that we are these people that we are today. So there's, there's, I want you to keep it at the back of your mind that there is something that Paul is trying to nail on our heads about this mercy that allows us to have, that, that allows them to have this ministry. And about him nailing and, and, and pushing and pressing on, on, on the issue of this mercy that there is nothing that we can do or to work for ourselves. But we, we, we start being the people that Jesus wants us to be when we receive openly what he's giving us. So Peter 1, um, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we are new creatures because of his loving mercy. Closes that sentence by saying, We do not lose heart. 
which means they do not get discouraged now that they have this ministry. Whatever else that happens. Uh, so in context of what he has, uh, in chapters one and chapters two, he has been talking about this persecution that they, uh, they, they've been experiencing as they've been ushering out the gospel to the people. So they do not lose heart because of this God's mercy, right? Um, so whatever they do for this ministry, Paul makes it clear that it is not funded by them. It is not funded by their endless toiling, but it is funded by the mercies of God. Paul here is not very much concerned about what happens to the body, but he is focused on this external source of strength that gives their work a different kind of meaning. I want to, I want to bring this home, right? Here in our context and community of Feinberg, is it possible that we feel like we're at the very end of what we can give? We feel like we're tired, we feel like we can't serve anymore. Is it possible that we, the reason why we feel like that we have been busy with ministries that we are funding by ourselves and not busy with the ministries that are funded by the mercies of God? I think that's something that you, you, you should take and ponder with yourself. So you know when you behold what God has done for us through Jesus, um, what changes you is not, is not that when you see Jesus hanging on the cross, you, you, you feel guilty, you feel remorseful and all of that. But rather, what changes us is seeing God's kindness in what Jesus has done for us. Once we see his kindness and mercy, we will not be discouraged, but instead we become empowered by the work of Christ in our lives. So verse two <laughs> says, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. But on the contrary, by setting forth the, tra- the, the truth plainly, we command ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So against criticism and questioning, Paul continues to defend the legitimacy and their legitimacy as apostles of Jesus. That's why he insists to the Corinthians that he has not and would not act with them in any way that is underhanded, any way that is disgraceful, or any way that is deceptive. Instead of manipulating God's word, he and his partners stated openly and invite others to openly evaluate their lives before God to see that they are acting with integrity. So, you know, sometimes we can be tempted to distort the gospel or try to make it attractive in ways that ultimately betray it. In trying to come across as people who are understanding, we can water down the truth of the gospel and witness about it things that are false, distorting the word of God. I want us to know, uh, I want us to know that the gospel has power in, and in itself because of the God who has proclaimed it. It doesn't need us to help it, it doesn't need us to, to put fancy or fuzzy words or try to come up with theories that are against the Bible to try to explain and defend who Christ is. The God that is proclaimed, the God, the, this, this gospel, gives it power. So it doesn't need us to edify it. So I can't remember how many times I, 
myself in the past, I've tried to jump in defense of God and ended up witnessing something that I later regretted or left that engagement feeling unsure of what I myself believe in. So it's hard to speak plainly, uh, to, to, to not add sparkle or flair, uh, but the point here is that we do not need to do that, and that's what Paul is combating in the church of Corinth. Verse 3 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Paul acknowledges here that the reality of their good news about salvation through faith in Jesus is veiled and hidden from the view of the people who are perishing, who are going to eternal separation from God. It is veiled. The God of this world, Satan, he blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of Jesus' glory. That's the light that Paul and his co-workers carry in their hearts and deliver to those who will see it. Verses 5 says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but it is Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory that is displayed in the face of Jesus. So the apostles were not much concerned about preaching about themselves, but they were concerned about pointing people to the one that really can save. Uh, Paul, in these verses, he's arguing Genesis verse 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. It's going to come up on the screen. Uh, where God said, uh, and, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. He's arguing James chapter 1, verse 17, where James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He's arguing John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, once again, Jesus spoke to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. This light did not shine in, the hearts, uh, in their hearts or in our hearts for our sakes only, but it, 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 it shined that we might um, transmit and reflect it to the people that are around us. There is an implied comparison by Paul in these scriptures um, between the creation of light in Genesis chapter 1 and the dawn of the gospel light, in that both of these two creations were made to benefit the world equally. Just think about it, the world was in darkness, and God said, let there be light, and life as we know it, it sources light. And, and Paul comes through and says, now in the very equal, or if, if not above, uh, way, the glory of the gospel was ushered and given to the world to give life to everyone. So I want us to land on this 
last six verses um, of this of of the of the of this chapter four that I just read now. Uh, verse seven reads, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it is not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed." We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but we're not dis- destroyed. So, uh, spoiler alert on chapters to come. Um, but it is clear that to Paul, God works through those who are weak. He pours out his gospel treasures into things that appear to be fleeting into these common vessels, these jars of clay. It is clear that there is nothing that we do, we, we can do for ourselves to save ourselves. It is the mercy of God that has saved us. There's nothing that we can do. And God, in order for him to shine out his glory to the world, he doesn't work through the strong, the wise, and all of that. He chooses the weak so that his glory might be fully shown. Chapter 12 is coming, though, for that. Uh, Paul sees his weakness as an arena through which God's power is displayed. We'll see, as I said, we'll see this more on the chapters that we come. So we must also keep in mind the argument of Paul's letter that Paul wants the Corinthians to move away from the way that culture thinks and move into uh, a way of seeing things in a gospel awakened way or with gospel awakened eyes. So we have proof from scriptures, I say, that God doesn't work through the know-it-all, the wise people. It doesn't work through the confident. It does not work through the strong. I think the something that happens when we embrace the fact that God uses us because we are weak so that his glory might be made known. There's something that changes us entirely as people that it's, it's not our intelligence, it's not the way that we look, it's not our height, it's not the way that we speak, it's not how we're doing while at school and all of that type of stuff, right? It is because God uh, saw it fit to use these weak vessels that we are. So we, we, we're not arguing uh, the fact, we're not ignoring, rather, the fact that Yes, we are weak people. That yes, we are hard-pressed on every side. Some of us are losing loved ones in very tragic of ways. Yes, we are living with sickness. Some of it is threatening to our lives. Um, we are struggling to make ends meet. Some of us don't know how we're going to see ourselves through the week, through the coming week. We are struggling at our places of employment. I mean, you can throw your situation in there. We're not ignoring that fact. We're not ignoring the fact that we are perplexed with feelings of uncertainty about the future. We, we're living with lives that are full of difficulty. I mean, we live in South Africa. <laughs> These are things that we worry about on a daily. We're not ignoring that, that fact. Uh, we it might feel persecuted in many different ways, but what we're pressing on is the fact that this is not the end of the story. Things will not stay the way they are. They won't end like this. We, we, we have a hope that we're holding on to. 
which has assured us a victory at the end. So uh, to share a story, I, I struggled with self-confidence myself in the past and still do sometimes um, to a point where I would wake up in the morning and struggle to find motivation to get out of my bed. Um, I wouldn't know the reason why I'm in this world, number one. I wouldn't know why should I wake up from my bed, where am I going, why are things the way that they are. But when God started to work in my heart, I had a short prayer to God that I put up right next to my bed. Um, and I made sure that I would, it would be the first thing that I see when I wake up every morning. And this prayer spoke to these three areas. It spoke to who am I in light of gospel glory, in light of gospel truth. Why am I here in this world in light of gospel truth? And where am I going? All in the light of gospel truth. As weak as I was in that moment, struggling to find that motivation to get up, it was contemplating who Jesus is and what he has done for me that I was able to wake up from my bed. Um, I mean, the, the things I was studying or the consciousness that was there in the air. So I, I, this was when I was in university. So you know how woke people are and all of these things. Uh, so those things were not sufficient to take me out of bed, right? I still contemplated, why am I here? Why are things the way that they are? So the only thing that motivated me to get up off my bed was to contemplate and to think about who Jesus is and what he has done for me, all the truth that is from his word, that I was able to see his beauty and wake up every morning. I was able to wake up and do everything that I'm able to do because Jesus rose from the dead. I want us to know that when we leave this place, that the reason why we're able to do the things that we do, the reason why we're able to wake up, to see the following day, to find strength, even if, it, it, it's, even if you feel like, I oh, know Jesus is not my motivation, I want to tell you whatever you're holding on to, it's fleeting, it's going to disappoint you tomorrow. And there's one thing that is non-changing. There's one thing that is truth. And that is the word of God. And lastly, I want us to look at, at verses 10 to 12. Paul says, we, will, we always carry around our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. So wherever there is death, with Jesus, wherever there's death, surely resurrection is coming. If there's a Friday, Sunday is around the corner. So Jesus may also be revealed in our body for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In these last verses, Paul talks about he is the apostle suffering uh, for the gospel. The verses are true to what Jesus said would happen to his disciples who follow him faithfully and will face persecution. Instead of running away from or despising suffering that we receive uh, for, just because we follow Jesus. Paul sees it as identifying with Jesus and his life-giving suffering. He was exposed to death everywhere he went, but in doing so, brought life to others through his faithful proclamation of the gospel.
So now is your part to go on our separate ways and I want to invite the band to just come up. Um, there's some points that I'm going to show up on the screen. So I want you to think about and to ponder and contemplate what God is saying to you and your situation today. I don't know if you guys are embarking on certain books in your small group, but if you don't have anything in this coming week, I want you to smoke. So I'm, famous, uh, I'm famously known for giving homeworks. <laughs> um, so I want you in your small groups and all community groups to think and discuss about how this truth that we've shared here today helps you do three things. Number one, how does it help you follow Jesus better? Number two, how does it call you to worship? And number three, in a moment of praying with your group, uh, I want you to submit yourselves to Jesus and ask him to lift the veil from the eyes of your heart so that you can see his beauty, so that you can behold the mercy that has been given to us and how we can live differently in life of what we've heard today. Amen? Amen. Amen.